When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu. And this time round on Condensed Histories, we're going to be talking about Halo. Which means, pretty obviously, we're going to have to be talking about two types of war. The console kind, and the ancient Greek time too. So, there we go, there's there's going to be quite a lot of battling going on, be it financial or genuinely life or death. So, if this is your first time here and you're a bit of a Halo fan... So am I. I've been a Halo fan for nearly 20 years. Enjoy. But it is worth pointing out that what we do here is we take a piece of pop culture and reveal how that piece of pop culture, be it a movie, TV show, video game, piece of music even, has been either deliberately or subconsciously influenced by real history. This time round, with Halo, and I mentioned Ancient Greece, As soon as I say Ancient Greece, think of a power in Ancient Greece. I'm going to say you're going to come up with two names. Athens and Sparta. This is Sparta! And basically a lot of people in their head think of Athens as the good guys and Sparta as the bad guys. Or at least Sparta is the militaristic one. And that's where we're going to be spending our time. I'm going to be unpicking a bit about the truth behind Sparta, but also talk about how it wasn't necessarily even called Sparta at the time. Is this Sparta? I know, confusing. But first, let's get into the starting point, this wonderful piece of pop culture called Halo. And the original one was specifically called Halo Combat Evolved. Let's take a few years earlier. Previously on playing video games. In the 80s and early 90s, people played video games. Now, I was growing up, I called them computer games, because most of the time you played them on computers. Admittedly, there was the Atari console, but if you wanted the sheer graphical grunt of a home computer, then you're probably going to have to use something like... I never had one of these, but a couple of my friends did, and boy, did I spend a lot of time over at their houses playing the Commodore 64. Oof. Then I got an Amiga with an upgrade, which had a whole one megabyte of memory. Yeah, I know. But I, on that, I played the very first Civilization game, and boy, did I play that to death, and also Speedball 2. 
These two games are absolute hardcore classics. Indeed, at the time, there was also this company, this developer called Ocean, which did lots of cool games, but particularly did lots of tie-ins to movies. Some were better than others. But I do remember the 1989 Tim Burton Batman movie had a particularly fun video game attached to it. So there I was playing all these video games and very much not going out on dates with young ladies, sitting at home, but really enjoying sitting at home. And that was the image of a gamer. In the 80s and indeed early 90s, a teenage boy sitting at home, perhaps drinking some sodas or fizzy pop or whatever you want to call it, eating crisps, perhaps having a bit of acne and generally not interacting with other people. But I'm going to say that's not necessarily a bad thing. I had a lot of fun. But then a new console came out from a company previously never really associated with video games. And that was the company Sony. And they created in 1994 the Sony PlayStation. <gasps> I saw on Twitter recently, somebody just had a photo of top down of a Sony PlayStation rig, the actual console, and it just said simply underneath it, what's the first game that springs to mind when you see this? And for me, there are a number of them. Probably the, the greatest game of, of that particular console generation had to be Final Fantasy VII. We do not have the time to talk about a game which I spent 60, 70 hours playing. Not all at the same time, I hasten to add. But the point of the PlayStation and the genius of Sony was they made gaming cool. They got cool pop culture icons of the mid-1990s to talk about it and to, to play it and to extol its virtues. And they got sort of cool music associated with it as well. It's worth remembering Sony, if, if they're recognised with anything, it's going to be music. So they had access to, to movies and to music and to pop icons and they funnelled all of this into PlayStation and it started to turn video games into something that was socially acceptable. Indeed, with the very first PlayStation and indeed the very first Grand Theft Auto. Now, it is worth pointing out that the Grand Theft Auto franchise from Rockstar Games, which is British, by the way, is one of the biggest brands in entertainment in the world. I'm not just talking about video games. The amount of money that they have made from Grand Theft Auto V, which came out about 10 years ago, because it's got an online element where you can basically buy virtual money to then have nicer clothes, faster cars, whatever, it is still making tens of millions of dollars every year. And it made billions when it first came out. People are still buying it 10 years later. The, the very first one came out on the Xbox 360 or PlayStation 3, and now there's been the PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. So, and, and they're about to do another re-release of it. There was a time when Rockstar would be bringing out maybe a game a year or a game every other year. But really, in the last 10 years, they brought out Grand Theft Auto 5 with all its online extras and Red Dead Redemption 2. And that's it. So it just shows you how much money they're making from the online store there. It's, it's its own entertainment entity in its own right. But the very first one was top down. You basically saw from above 
and you wandered around. And there, it, it was just fun and anarchic, and I, I had great time with it. But the ad campaign around it was really interesting, at least in the UK. What they did, if you can't guess from the name Grand Theft Auto, you're basically a criminal. Every time a new one of these comes out, there's a part of the media establishment that goes hysterical and one occasion called a murder simulator really isn't. It's one of these things where, would I let a 10-year-old kid play it? Absolutely not. Would I let a 10-year-old kid watch Scarface? Absolutely not. I kill a communist for fun, but for a green card, I'm gonna carve him up real nice. You know, there's a time and a place for adult entertainment. And my goodness, they're coming for me. That's a huge truck that just drove past my house in a rather sleepy road. But anyway, more Grand Theft Auto there for you. So the point is that it's an edgy game, rated 18, rated R in America, and therefore they wanted an edgy ad campaign. And I actually know where it was. It was up by Shepherd's Bush Roundabout in West London, and they bought a billboard and put a security camera facing the billboard. And they glued a hundred boxes. This is in the era before you downloaded video games, you had to buy a disc in a box. So they had a hundred discs in a hundred box glued to this billboard. And then they showed you people on this security camera footage sort of running up and stealing one, basically, grabbing one. One person, when they got further and further out of reach, one person sort of came up with a branch and sort of whacked one of them off. Perfect advertising. Very, very cheap to do. That's obviously not a very expensive ad campaign, and yet I remember it 20 years plus later. And also, it absolutely tells you what the point of the game was, to be a criminal in that sense. So, in 94, we get the PlayStation. It sells by the truckload. Everybody's hyped by the PlayStation. And then, in the year 2000, they go one better with Funnily enough, the PlayStation 2. The PlayStation 2, it depends what you want to consider a console or whatever. So it's one of the biggest selling consoles of all time. It's an amazingly successful product launch and continuation. Obviously, you buy a console, you want it to last for years. So PlayStation from Sony, a company that just six, seven years earlier was unknown in the video game market is suddenly the biggest player in the video game market. Now Nintendo goes off and does its own thing because Nintendo is always sort of very much looking internally. It's very innovative but it's also very child friendly. Nintendo's never going to release Grand Theft Auto 6, although they did have a version of it on the Nintendo DS but anyway. So there was another company that was not exactly associated with video games that thought we could do this. We're talking about Microsoft one of the biggest names in technology. And so, unsurprisingly, in 2001, we get, we get not only the Xbox, but with all of these games, there's gotta be a launch title, why buy it? This is the problem with the PlayStation 5 right now. Yes, it's come out, and what games are exclusive to the PlayStation 5? Well, there's a remastering of Dark Souls, but that's a really hard game and I was never interested in it in the first place. Okay, and then there's Returnal, which is a sort of bullet hell horror game, which, so these are not exactly particularly common games. There's no must-buy game, and therefore PlayStation 5 is not a must-grab console at the moment, at least at the moment. I still got my PlayStation 4 and I'm still playing stuff on it. It's a weird time at the moment with COVID, but the point is, Xbox knew that if anybody was going to trust Xbox, they needed to have some good games on it. Now, I waited a while, and when I did eventually, I had 
PlayStation 2 and an Xbox because I was a salesperson and I was earning good money at that point and I was also single so why not have both and so the very first time I got an Xbox I played two games back to back Halo Combat Evolved and Knights of the Old Republic a Star Wars role-playing game for centuries Alderaan stood as a beacon of hope in the Republic but the Empire came and if you ask people, those are some of the best video games ever created. Yes, of course, graphics have improved and so on and so forth, but the point is that they were really, really great. And so what we got here is Microsoft saying, we need something. We need something as exciting as a Tekken, as, as well known as a Medal of Honor or Call of Duty, as, as, as you know, we now think of the first person shooters. We need something good. So they went to Bungie, a studio not renowned for first person shooters shooters and not particularly one of the biggest names in video games but they were working on a science fiction game originally very very originally it was kind of a more strategy game but they turned it into a first person shooter and what halo is is just high science fiction the drop zone is clear at no point in the first game in the second game and third game you do actually go back to earth but only briefly but there are spaceships there are alien planets and more importantly there are halos this is something where everything they got right now look if you go back and look at the graphics from 20 years ago, of course, graphics have improved. But at the time, the graphics were excellent. The music was excellent. The gameplay was butter smooth. The story was interesting, which even had a twist in it, a twist or two, to be honest. And it all came together with this remarkable AI. Now, when I first started playing it, I heard that, you know, this, this is a time when, because of limited memories in video games, things didn't act quite the way you did. Like, for example, if you walked over fire, you wouldn't burn because it wouldn't have the memory to have sort of like, this is an environment which could cause you harm or something like that. So you would always test, can I stand in fire and things like that. The other thing is like with vehicles, you very rarely got in and out of vehicles. You either played a driving game or like Ridge Racer on the original PlayStation. Had a lot of fun on that. So this was a game where you could jump in and out of vehicles. And what you realize pretty quickly is these weren't pre-scripted vehicles. You could just fly around with them. There's one level in the first Halo where there's an enemy alien and they're about to jump into a Banshee, which is in, in essence a little fighter plane, okay? And if you can get there before the enemy alien, you can jump into the spaceship, fly it straight down, and you can cut out half the level. That's how flexible the AI was with this. And indeed, if you are shooting one of these ships in the sky, and it comes crashing down and it hits you, you're going to take massive amounts of damage. Now you'll sit there and go, well, yeah, of course, Jim. But 20 years ago, that was revolutionary. Indeed, you could shoot bits off some of the vehicles even. So this actual specific damage to these vehicles rather than just, it's fine, 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 that's dead. Which is the way most video games worked was incredible. And you could play the same level again and again. And because of the enemy AI, they always acted a little bit differently. The same level was never quite the same each time. The other thing is that you could, this is the time of something like Half-Life 2 and loads of video games where every time you picked up a gun, you'd keep that gun. So you had a pistol, shotgun, sniper's rifle, rocket launcher, 
whatever machine gun and if you think about it no human being can walk around with that arsenal around them and then you've got all the ammunition as well and eight hand grenades so in halo you could carry two weapons any two weapons you wanted to you can and all of them had strengths and weaknesses a weird i think it was actually a glitch in the code but bizarrely the pistol was one of the most powerful guns in the game in the sense that if you zoomed it it was pretty much as powerful as the sniper's rifle. So it was a, a kind of must-have accessory, but each weapon had, did different things in different ways, and it was really, really clever. Now, what's any of this got to do with ancient Greece? Because you got to play the Master Chief, classic example of the faceless hero. He had a wonderful, again, sort of gravelly, tough voice that would occasionally talk to the AI that he was walking around with called Cortana. And if you're, again, you're sitting there going, I recognize that. That's on my laptop, isn't it? Yes. So the kind of the voice activated protocols on Microsoft products is called Cortana. They got the name from this female AI that walks around with the Master Chief in Halo. Cortana told us one of you was on board, but I didn't believe her. So the Master Chief, that's a rank. It's not his name. It's not like, yeah, we got Jeff and he's wearing, he's always wearing this armor. So you never even see his face. So it's the perfect person. Also, the other thing is, of course, that you're looking at this from first person perspective. So you hardly ever, there were cut scenes where you get to see the whole character, but he's always got this visor down. So it's you. It's you on screen. You get to be the hero. This is what a lot of people don't get about the appeal of video games. It's you. Okay, you're not passively watching somebody else be the hero. And the other thing is, of course, that if you're not good enough to get past those alien baddies, you're never going to get to see what happens next, which, again, isn't something that happens in a movie. You, you might not quite understand what's going on in the movie, but the movie will continue forwards in its momentum. So you've got the Master Chief and he's on this quest. And why is it called Halo? Because he lands, he crash lands on this gigantic space station as a way to put it which is a giant halo with the inside ring of the halo being actual vegetative matter at land mass and so when you're standing there in the video game and you look up you can see the ring go all the way up into the sky and then arcing back down again it's a little detail that no matter where you are provided you're outside is just it really makes you feel like you're on something alien because that ain't something you'll see every day back at home but the thing about the Master Chief, I said he's got a visor and he's wearing armor. That armor is Spartan armor. And also, he is the last of the Spartans. And he's sort of super genetically engineered super soldier, much bigger and faster, and more capable of dishing out the damage than any of the other humans. So it is playing absolutely into what you're thinking of when I say Sparta. This is for Microsoft, it was a huge gamble to launch the Xbox. And it was also an even bigger gamble to launch with a video game they didn't know if anybody liked. The quality was absolutely there, but it wasn't as well known as all these other video game titles that you've probably heard of, be it Mario. I'm talking about mid-1990s Mario or Final Fantasy or Tekken or things like that. It was a huge risk, and it absolutely paid off. It was an amazing game that people couldn't get enough of. It was one of these rare examples where 
people just bought the console because they wanted to play the game. I was one of them. And so it was a huge hit and people wanted more. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And so they gave them more with Halo 2 in 2004. We had to wait three years for Halo 2. Halo 2 was the first one to introduce multiplayer. Now, I was unable to do that. This was still at the very edge of technology. So we had to wait till 2007 for Halo 3, and now on a different console, the Xbox 360. Numbering of these things is weird because video games. And with Halo 3, it wraps up the initial trilogy of the Master Chief. And the problem, the one issue that people had, Halo 2 was good. It enhanced on the original and it had this new opportunity. But the thing was, it ended on a cliffhanger and we had to wait three years to find out what happened. Literally, the last thing he says in Halo 2 is, I'm off to finish the fight. Well, good, good luck, mate, because can, can we not do that? Master Chief, you mind telling me what you're doing on that ship? Sir finishing this fight the other thing was that you spent quite a lot of time being one of the aliens in halo 2 now i'm not going to go any more into the ins and outs of halo if you want to know more then there are loads loads so many youtube videos and things like that which will show you the cutscenes, and you can you can watch them if you want i would absolutely recommend if you play just one video game so like a sci-fi shooter Halo's the one to do, and that's why I'm not going to tell you sort of like the twists and turns of the story, but it's genuinely really good. 
and if you want to watch a movie there's a really good one so halo was so big that there was a time when they were potentially going to make a big budget film and it ended up being turned into some of the it never quite got across the finish line and so some of the stuff that was going to be used was repurposed for the movie district nine again if you haven't seen that very very good it's nothing like halo though but there were a couple of sort of attempts at trying to make content for the next xbox iteration and so there was this very good i'm going to call it the equivalent of tv movie called halo forward unto dawn you might want to check that out it is actually almost like a prequel so you might want to give that a go it is really fun it's you know, 90 minutes it's it's not going to sort of set the world on fire but it's got the music the master chief appears later on in it but it's really about a bunch of cadets and they're not used to the alien intervention and it's it, it's got sounds and set design and even some head-up displays that are straight out of halo deliberately so and it was actually created to promote halo 4 but we won't go into halo 4 or 5 or, or the various other ancillaries if you like the halos 1 2 and 3 are this really tight trilogy that came out over a six-year period that are just amazing video games if when people say why are video games any good if you play those three games together you'll go oh right i get it yeah this is really really good however with halo 3 it was my first ever attempt to do something online and i only ever played i think two games online because the first time i appeared I didn't really understand. This is the thing, you know, you're used to AI and you're used to sort of the setup. And basically, in my opinion, the most toxic community out there are Halo online players. They're just horrible to each other and you. And so I, I dropped into one thing which turned out to be a private server where basically these three guys, they're all on one side and they just wait for one person to appear on the other side. They scream abuse at you and kill you all the time. It's like, well, that isn't fun. So anyway, that's a slightly different story. But what we've got is we've got this Master Chief being this mighty warrior in this armor, and it's all to do with the Spartan program. And I know when I say Spartan, you've got this certain image in your head, and, and it's interesting that Athens fought battles too, but we don't think of Athenian warriors in the same breath as the Spartans. But I'm going to say the weird thing about the Spartans is they share some DNA with another civilization 2,000 years later, basically, and it's the Mongols, because both the Mongols and the Spartans were undeniably militaristic, and they weren't worried about writing down their own annals. So really, with both the Mongols and the Spartans, we either get things written by the, their enemies, or we get things mentioned by Spartans to their enemies. So in other words, they're projecting the image they want to project. Or the third thing is we get what was Sparta like after the fall of Sparta. And just thinking about that for a moment, it's like, well, OK, so this is the enemies. This is them bragging or this is people picking through the, the ashes. None of those are going to give you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, are they? So we've got to kind of check ourselves a little bit with this that we we've got the basics history and the archaeology will back it up but we have to be careful that some of the things we know as in inverted commas facts about the spartans 
could be legendary or exaggerated. It's called fake news. And things like that. So some of the basics is around about 650, we get the rise of Lacadamia. What? Yeah. So the thing is that the area is called Lacadamia, which is where we get the word laconic from which sort of like means sort of short and witty. And certainly the Spartans were that. There was a famous quote during the Peloponnesian Wars where the Athenians sent a threat to the Spartans saying, if we defeat your armies, we will sweep into your areas and we will destroy your crops and have all your population sold into slavery and we will wreak revenge on you. And the response from the Spartans was, if... In other words, at the beginning it says, if we defeat your, your army, it's all like, well, yeah, it's, it's contingent on defeating the army. The Spartans famously were so confident of their army that unlike any of the other city-states of ancient Greece, they didn't have a wall around it because they had their shield wall that could do it. As the soldiers marched off to battle, their mothers would shout at them, On it or with it. So in other words, it's the, they're referring to their shield. You either come back with your shield victorious or you're carried back dead on your shield. That's your mother saying it to you as you march into battle. Yeah, nice. So 650, the rise. If you're not particularly familiar with the layout of Greece, obviously there's lots of islands, but in mainland Greece, there's basically these two chunks of land mass. They're both almost peninsulas with this tiny bit of land between the two and the one that was kind of southwest of the other one so in the other one you got Athens in the lower one you got Sparta and they conquered pretty much most of their peninsula and what this meant is unlike the other city-states who would sort of create colonies and set up other city-states that were kind of beholden to them in the first place Spartans were kind of a bit different and weirder because they would they would conquer areas and they would absolutely degrade them into slaves. Messina is probably the best well-known one. That was their, basically the Spartans' breadbasket. And it was a critical town which had all their production. And Sparta seems to actually mean sort of agriculture and growth. It, it's sort of saying that they are now in charge of rich lands rather than the fact that the lands themselves are Lacedemia. So there are different names for these people. So we're not entirely convinced that they actually called each other Spartans. And the big quote there from Gerard Butler. This is Sparta! We've got 650 there rise. Then, of course, we got the famous 300, Battle of Thermopylae. Again, Gerard Butler. Bold Leonidas and his 300, so far from home, laid down their lives, not just for Sparta, but for all Greece and the promise this country holds. That's 480 BC. So that's, give or take, 200 years later. And it is worth remembering that that particular event was a defeat. But the next year, you get the Battle of Plataea, where you've got the full army of the Spartans. One of the reasons why the Spartans couldn't bring their full army the first time round is it was actually the time of the Olympic Games, and so they weren't allowed to muster. People were obliged. The other thing that's kind of forgotten about the ancient great games compared to the modern ones is that it was tied into their religious beliefs. It's just like, I guess, in the West, you wouldn't necessarily expect shops to be open on Christmas Day. You weren't allowed to fight during the Olympic Games, and nowadays we yeah we'll watch the Olympic Games, but we don't drop everything. It's not like society stops for the Olympic Games or something like that. 
So that's just a year later, Battle of Plataea. Finally, the whole Spartan army's on the field, and we get a victory there. Now, I just want to say on the Battle of Thermopylae, there, there's again lots of myths around it. The 300, yes. So Leonidas was allowed to go with his elite bodyguard, hence the 300. However, they picked up various soldiers on the way. It is expected that there were probably round about three, maybe three and a half thousand Greek warriors at the hot gates. That's what Thermopylae means. And so this idea of 300 Spartans versus a million Persians, well, Persia did not have a million soldiers, but they certainly had the largest army in the world at that time. It might have numbered. The problem with ancient texts is they are always wildly unreliable when it comes to numbers, but so people doing some common sense and looking at things like grain production and rough populations, at a guess, probably a hundred thousand. Now still, three and a half thousand versus a hundred thousand, you're woefully outnumbered. And the fact that they managed to survive three days and then, you know, basically went down fighting was really, really impressive. In that last day, this is where we do get the three hundred because the Spartans realized that their all hope was lost now that they've got they've come in, the, some of the Persians have come in around them. The whole point of the hot gate was a bottleneck, so it didn't matter how many soldiers you got, you can't just force your way through. It was the perfect place to fight a defensive battle. But once they got some Persians got around, okay, game's up, we can't hold our formations, and so the vast majority of forces left. There were a few other Greeks with the Spartans when they went down, but that's where the myth comes about the 300, because it really was them, maybe a few hundred other Greeks, but they went down fighting, just because basically. And there are some quotes that seem to be true from the movie. My favourite one is the Persians trying to intimidate them with our arrows are so numerous they will block out the sun and the Spartans' response, laconic response is, good, then we shall fight in the shade. Our arrows will blot out the sun. Then we will fight in the shade. So we get that. That's round about 480 and 479 BC. But then we get to the Peloponnesian War. That's 431 to 404. Don't forget, we're sort of working down because we're in the BC era again. So what's interesting is the Peloponnesian War and, and some of the other wars in, in ancient Greece, they just didn't take a year. It always took like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years sometimes because... You know, the manoeuvrability, Greece is very hilly and mountainous, and we're talking about an era where no country or no city-state had loads and loads of cavalry, and even if they did, it'd be hard to sort of get around mountain passes. So it just took a long time to manoeuvre everybody, and if you had a bad year one year, you still had plenty of men and materials to fight the next year. So it, it always took an age to finish any campaign. But the Peloponnesian War is the high point of ancient Greek culture. This is when Athens was firing on all its cylinders. It's where a lot of those famous philosophers you've all heard of existed and those Greek plays you might have been forced to read during your time at school. Again, a lot of those were written during the Peloponnesian Wars. And so this is this is the high point. This is the, the white togas, the Doric columns, the hoplite warriors and everything else. That's pretty much accurate to that era. But it goes on and on and on. And basically the Athenians over stretch themselves. They use up all their resources, basically trying to create a, a second front in Sicily. And that goes disastrously wrong. And that finally is the tipping point, both economically and militarily. Athens is kind of spent and Sparta can finally 
put on the death knell of Athenian democracy. So the Spartans basically win the Peloponnesian War, and then for, I'm going to say, 40, 50 years, they're the top dogs in, in ancient Greece. They basically get to choose what everybody else does. But then one of the city-states that people generally don't talk about, Thebes, the Thebians, basically start a war with Sparta, in essence. I mean, it's, it's complicated. But they end up having a war with Sparta, and they win. They crush and dismantle Sparta. And the critical thing is, why were the Spartans so good at fighting compared to the Athenians and so on and so forth? Well, in Athens, you had to vote. You had to be part of the army for a few years, and then you went off and were a philosopher or what. You know, and it is weird to think that someone like Socrates, in his youth, would have actually been fighting. I'm not sure how useful it was to have a philosopher standing side by side with you in a shield war. You don't want them going, hey, do you know, if, if a tree falls down in a forest, does it make a noise? Not now, Socrates. We've got to stab the baddies as much as possible. Anyway, the thing with the Spartans, though, is, well, first of all, you would actually, when you were born, you were assessed by this kind of voted in almost priestly group is, is a way of thinking it, but they assessed every every boy child. And if you were sickly, you basically were chucked off a cliff. This seems to be true, by the way. However, if you seemed fit enough, I mean, the thing is that apart from severe disabilities, you're not going to know how muscular a newborn baby is. So I think that, I think the reality was, you know, yes, if there are major birth defects, unfortunately you're killed, but everybody else was given a chance. But then age seven, you were taken to the agogi, and this is where you had military training up until your mid to late teens and you were sometimes starved and beaten and you were one of the things you had to do was go off and kill a slave and you had to, you were never given quite enough food which is why they encourage you to steal but more importantly not get caught stealing stealing in itself was actually encouraged but getting caught means you are sloppy so clearly by the time you get through that kind of brutal regime you're going to be quite the warrior. And so they had a professional army versus all these amateurs, and that's genuinely why Sparta, although basically using the same tactics as everybody else, they were just better drilled, better motivated. There's the famous thing about their black broth, which was kind of like a blood pudding, almost like a cross between a stew and black pudding, or haggis, something like that, literally using blood to kind of bulk it out and give you nutrients, I suppose. And pretty much everybody from another city-state, if they ever got to taste this black broth, would say, now we know, well, specifically an Athenian said, now I know why they do not fear death, <laughs> because the food's so bad. Okay, there we go. But the thing is that the, the Spartans themselves were sort of so obsessed with all this stuff, and were sort of so worried about being from... Well, the, the weird thing about Sparta is it's undeniably influenced the West. But the, the truly weird thing is it's influenced both what we would call liberal politics and fascist politics. We get some people are saying, hey, the Spartans were like proto-Nazis and proto-fascists. No, they way predate any of this stuff, but undeniably this Spartan ideal, this sort of eugenic-style thing of survival of the fittest and fiercest and might is right, absolutely, we've got it in writing, influenced some of the Nazi ideology. That was a thing. But then, 
on the flip side of that, as I said, everybody, all the all the men would go off and be in this army, and 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 basically they were there was this barracks life. Even later on in life, you were still associated with your barracks. So there was this egalitarian side of it as well. Yes, some Spartans were richer than others, but at the same time, you know, everybody ate the black broth. And the other bizarre counterintuitive fact that if you were a woman in let's say 500 BC in Greece, the place where you had the most rights and where you were taken most seriously was Sparta. The Spartans had no problem having young women doing athletics and sort of getting involved in the equivalent of the Olympic Games, whereas in somewhere like Athens, although it was in technically a democracy, it's worth remembering, it was a democracy which had slavery, women didn't have the vote, and basically women just had to stay at home. You're not eligible to vote. Why not? Because virtually no one is. Women, peasants, chimpanzees, <laughs> lunatics, lords. That's not true. Lord Nelson's got a vote. He's got a boat, boring. My Greek sister-in-law, so I can tell this joke because she's told it to me, she says, basically, it's women for breeding, boys for fun, goats for ecstasy. So, uh, yeah, that apparently was the motto of the ancient Athenians. It wasn't, but it's a good joke. But it points out that, you know, Athens wasn't as clear-cut lovely as we like to think of it. Yes, it's got the philosophy and the theatre and the democracy, but it's still a Bronze Age slash Iron Age civilization with all its patriarchy and slavery and all these other problems. You could say Sparta was a bit more honest about these things, the bizarre thing about Sparta as a whole is if you want to hold it up and say, this was a terrible fascist dictatorship that destroyed a democracy, that worshipped might, that killed the weak, that did not care about the arts, you're absolutely right. If, you, however, you want to turn around and say it was an egalitarian society that fought against a mighty empire to try and keep all of Greek, Greece, to, no matter where they were, safe from harm's way, from alien intervention, that wanted honour and loyalty to be one of the founding stones of civilization, you're also right. This is the bizarre thing about the Spartans. You can make them anything you want them to be, which means they will continue to be fascinating to us moving forwards. So that's it for this week. As always, look, guys, if you enjoyed this one, please click subscribe. Please tell somebody else. And you can always find me on at Gem Daduccio. I take requests. I've had a few come out there. So if you like this one, think, oh, I'd like, maybe we should do one on the movie 300. I've been thinking about doing that. But yeah, let me know. Give me your thoughts on that, at Gem Daduccio on Twitter. And as always, hopefully, speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.